Okay, Parashat Shemot is on page 292. Shemot, Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. So, indeed. Uh, let's start at the beginning of Shemot and uh, make our way through the parasha leading up to Parashat Bo, that's next week's parasha, to try to understand exactly uh, what seems to be playing, playing out either beneath the text or right before our eyes. We might just be overlooking it. Before even beginning, the book of Shemot is the book in English of... Well, names or what does it say at the top of the page? Exodus. No, numbers is bimidbah. Um, names and Exodus, which sound like two very different realities. Names seems to have nothing to do with getting out of Egypt, unless names being the name of the book, of course, because of the second word in the first pasuk, uh, really does have more meaning than just being the second word in the book and the first theme. Uh, maybe names is very particular, is very specific to what Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim is all about, to what freedom for Am Yisrael and for us is truly about. Hopefully I'll develop that and explain that to you. So the first pasuk, first pisukim, describe, as you'd imagine, names. Ve'ele shemot b'nei Yisrael ha'ba'im Yisraima et Yaakov ish u'beto ba'u. The pasuk describes, these are the names of the individuals from the household of Yaakov who made their way down into Egypt. And then the pisukim, in painstaking, well, not really detail, but every single name is recording, recorded. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yudai, Dan, Gad, A concluding sentence, there were 70 souls, 70 people who made their way into Egypt. Of course, the 70 people are not listed over here, uh, but there's some sort of assumption that you know who those 70 people are. How would you know who those 70 people are? Yeah, because we read about their descent when they went into Egypt in Parashat Vayigash. So that's back on page, if you want to read it, page 258. In Perek Memvav, Pasuk Chet and onward, over there, in full detail, you have all the people who made their way from Canaan into Egypt, into Misraim. Ve'ele shemot b'nei Yisrael ha'ba'im Misraim. I'm reading from, again, back in Sefer Bereshit on page 258, Yaakov Banav. But this time, instead of just saying Reuven, Shimon, Levi, the actual sons of Yaakov, it tells you all their children, the grandchildren. Bechor Yaakov, Reuven, Ubne Reuven, Hanoch, Ufalu, Vehesron, Vecharmi, it goes through all of those names. Of course, concluding with the similar identical sentence on page 260 in Pasuk Kafzayin, uh, how many people were they? Kol Nefesh, Bet Yaakov, Abba, Mitzrayma, is Shiv'in. So there's something up. First and foremost, the repetition, mm -hmm. that we had the description of all those names who descended back then, and it's repeated again over here. And secondly, uh, just in general, even to mention it once, what's the significance of listing names in the Torah, uh, the genealogy in some respect? In terms of the repetition, Rashi quotes from the Midrash, but maybe there's an added depth to what he really means, says Rashi the same way the Pasuk describes in Tehillim how God gives names to the stars, even though they're so bountiful, there's so many of them, but each one of them has a name, a certain identity. So too for B'nai Yisrael, and because of Havivut, because of the love, nature, and relationship between God and us, the Torah goes out of its way to repeat those names. It, it certainly, it's a warm and fuzzy feeling when you read that, but what does that mean? The Torah needs to repeat the names in order to designate for us in some way 
a relationship or more specifically, and this is the point I'd really like to draw, an identity. Uh, let me just for a moment explain what I mean by that. Names are what identify us in the most basic and simple way. If I talk to you about someone, you want to know who they are, I give you their name. I might describe who they are as well, but I'm really describing their name. The name that we achieve and that we accomplish and that we portray to others is our identity for time and forever. That's what a name represented in the Torah as well, every time there's a name, there's usually a certain significance, there's a certain, uh, certain hint. At the onset of Sefer Shemot, when Rashi appeals to a Midrash that describes the stars so bountiful, nonetheless, God has a name, Lechulam Shemot Yikra, it's almost as if the names of people at the onset of this book, at the end of Sefer Bereshit, describe how they all have a certain identity. It's unique. They are individuals. They might make up something greater, but who came down? Well, let me tell you each one of them. At the conclusion of that, I'll tell you there were 70, but let me be clear. These were their names. Each one of them had a specific identity. They came from prominent families. They came from Yaakov's family, their fathers, their grandfathers, were all important people, the conclusion of Bereshit, the beginning of Shemot, and it ends right there, describes to us what type of people are we dealing with? People of a strong sense of identity. These are free people. These are individuals who know who they are, who knows what defines them as opposed to anyone else. They can describe themselves and they can be described by others. That's the way the book begins. I think that's the repetition. I think that's the significance of names. Here's the crazy part. It's the book of names, the book of Exodus. Names now disappears. After the first seven sentences, seven Pesukim, names are gone. What do I mean by that? Well, let's uh, just go a little bit forward. Uh, we have a few quick names. There are these Miyaledot, uh, these midwives. We get their names. But listen to what happens on page 296, when we get to the real players, the real characters in Sefer Bereshit. Pause for a second. Who are the real characters in Sefer Bereshit? Moshe. Moshe. And to a certain extent, his family. Here's the description of Moshe's beginning. Page 296, Perek Bet Pasuk Who are we dealing with? People. What are their names? I don't know. A man from the household of Levi to a woman from the household of Levi. Of course, we know afterwards their names. Yocheved and Amram, the parents of Moshe, but their names are not recorded. Vatar ha'isha, the woman becomes impregnated. Vateled, she gives birth. Ben, a child. Vatere oto kitobhu. Vatitzbeneu shelosha yerachim. He's tov. He's good. It's interesting, the Gemara says the name Tov is actually another name for Moshe, ironically. But regardless, in the moment, no name. No name. And the story continues. The mother, anonymous mother, takes him, places him in a teva, in some sort of basket or small boat, places him into the water, and who watches him? Anonymous sister. Anonymous sister. Pasuk We're used to the story is Miriam, but it's not. Who is it? Achotomerachok. 
The book began, Sefer Bereshit ended with a lot of names. Significance, these are all the names. Sefer Shemot begins, all the names. Rashi reminded us, significance of names, unique. God gives names to all the stars. We all have names. We might be multitudes of individuals, but that's exactly what we are, individuals. We don't lose our name. We're all unique. And then, all nameless, all anonymous. it's, It's so much more than even this. First, before I go onward, just his name will be given to him, not by anyone in B'nai Yisrael. Who gives him his name? The daughter of Parol. That's right. She's the first free person that we've encountered in the text. We've been dealing with slaves. They don't have names. Their unique identity, their ability to identify who they are, to portray themselves as someone, some people of a certain personality, certain characteristics, that doesn't exist for them. The free woman can give a name. Who's she? The daughter of Paro. By the way, what's, what's that? She doesn't, she doesn't have a full name either, but maybe, I, I hear you. Um, point taken. Keep in mind, she is kind of playing our side. Um, but my point more than anything was, we finally got a name. It can't come internally. We don't do names. A child is fantastic, but not really. It's just a part of this mix. Go ahead. I feel like I don't even know where I heard this that the lineage doesn't matter, and it's just going to prove that somebody could still be great even if they don't have the lineage. But that doesn't make sense with this idea that everybody has a unique identity. Well, again, two things. Firstly, beautiful message, nice idea. It's in the, the rabbis do have such a thought. But secondly, what, what I'm saying is, I don't even know if it's true by Moshe, unless kind of the context that here is a husband and wife who against all odds had a child at a time when maybe others are not, they're pretty significant people, even if they don't have a literal name. So I'm kind of suggesting that the name represents something even more than that. And his birth, by the way, his name is Moshe, which again, with a smile, a very big smile on my face, I say this. Um, His name, Moshe, if scrambled, is Hashem, is the name. He's kind of the first one, maybe, who will introduce us to names. He might bring forth self-identity for the people at a time during which they don't have it. Uh, that's we have the, a question, No problem. Go ahead. Okay. So you start off Shimon saying that starting off with names, correct? Then we say that it's very nice. We right. see no names, right? So you turned to that, I didn't think I got confused. Got it. Okay. So we started off with 73 important people who came down to Egypt. Right. They are gone. Their descendants are alive. What's the identity of their descendants? Anonymous. Right. So we started with, remember the good old days when we came from Canaan, we were imbued with a certain self-identity, we knew who we were, but then we got settled here. And time went on, and we became nameless. And the next generation doesn't have names. And of course, they do have names. I'm just saying the Torah is describing it as if they don't have names. To get across that point, in the slave mentality, they've lost their names. All right, so the Pesukim continue a little bit, and uh, this Moshe uh, grows up a bit. And on page 298, I just want to point this one out. Basuk says, Vayhi at the very top, Basuk Yod Aleph. Vayhi vayyamim hahem, it was in those days. Vayigdal Moshe, Moshe gets older. Vayese el Echav. He goes out 
to his brothers. We're going to define that word in a second. Vayar b'sivlotam, he sees their hardships, their difficulties. Vayar ish misri make ish ivri me'echav. He sees an Egyptian man striking an Israelite man from his brothers. The simple reading of these two brothers, see it mentioned brother in the first line, and then at the end of the second line is, he goes out to his brothers, translated as Bnei Israel, and then the Misri is striking his brother, the Ivri, and it means he identifies with his brothers. They're both his brothers. No, not yet. In other words, the simple reading of the Pasuk is he goes out to see his brothers, they are Bnei Israel, and he finds, because again it says, Echav me'echav, Egyptian is striking an Ivri who's from his brothers. That reading of the Pasuk is the way Rashi and many others have a Does he know that he's from them at that Apparently. Point? I mean, you can't explain. Uh, Somehow he discovered this. So fascinatingly, oh. Ibn Ezra, one of the famous and traditional commentators, reads the Pasuk like this. Again, it's it's not a traditional approach, but he's a traditional mefarish. He goes out to his brothers to, Ibn Ezra writes, El Hamisrim. He goes out to his brothers, the Egyptians. And then he finds one of the Egyptians striking one of the Ivrim, and his eyes are almost opened up, and he's like, Oh my goodness, those are my brothers. I'm wondering whether that's an existential, for Ibn Ezra, it's an existential awakening moment. Oh my goodness, I have been identified, the word we're going to use again, my identity has been determined by Ehav Hamisri, my adopted family. But now in this moment, it's almost as if it shifts. Something, there's some spark. But it means that if we read it through that lens, it means the first moment for Moshe in coming into leadership is a moment of self-identity. Now, even if you don't read it like that, even if it's he goes out to his brothers and he finds him striking his brothers, that's also self-identity. It's not as sharp, but it's self-identity. He's going out to, oh, these are my people. We are separate and different than the Egyptians. It's like almost like now with everything online in Israel, people didn't identify as Jewish. But now when you see the pain... That's when you realize who you are. It's a great point. So it's a great point. Said, People never met are now religious too. Like every single person, even if you have no religion, all of a sudden now are awakened are to Jewish identity. Can I tell you the sad part though? And this is this is only because I, I'm sure everyone, is more identifying with Israelis. And seeing and hearing Israeli words in ways that not that were foreign to us, but we didn't hear until now. Here's what has dawned upon me, and I promise you, I cried about this um, because I reflected on my own children in this respect. I watched um, my sister lives in a part in a specific neighborhood in Israel, and someone in that neighborhood lost her son in combat in the war recently, and so she at the funeral, or maybe it was like a sheloshim, I'm not sure exactly what I was watching, she reads from a piece of paper that she found on his desk. Did you see this? This letter. But it's so moving on many levels for me. He lists some, I don't know, 75 things or 55 things that he wants, right? And you just have to read them and think, at least I did, but my children are not that age yet, but you know, we're getting there. 
are my children going to be able to identify and have a self-identity to that extent that these are matters of value in my life when I'm 20, 21 years old in a way, in the ways that many Israeli young men and women do. Now, I think they are forced into it, and I think war does force that, and I think a society and a culture which is more idealistic than American culture and society is, forces it. But it was, for me, it was a little depressing. It was like... This is a young man who is so self-identified, who knows. You should watch it. I'm not going to do it justice. I'm not going to do it justice. And some of them are simple. Some of them are silly, right? Like there are silly ones like he wants to ride on horses and home horses, right? But then there are, are, are significant ones I want to identify. And not that, not that our children can't and not that we can't, but do we stop and actually identify? Do we even have lists of 55 things that we want in that respect, I want to pray in a way in which I feel like I'm speaking to God and have the proper intention. I, a lot of they're not so deep in that respect. For me, the more profound part was he had 55 things and he wrote it, she figured out when he was 16 years old. Oh my God. A, that one I have, I have a 16 year old son. I don't want to see his list of 55 things he wants. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what they'll look like. And, it was so what I'm describing is I don't think we live in slavery and servitude at all. I don't think we have no sense of identity. I do think that we sometimes lose track of the review and the ingraining within ourselves. What are our values? Who are we? What what is significant to us? And the Torah is kind of forcing us to do this. Well, they didn't have a chance. They're in slave society. They're just mixed in. Go ahead. Indeed. Raquel is, is, is commenting on two weeks ago class. I was suggesting, I, I, I very much was thinking that way as I thought about this t today and yesterday as well. Yaakov's fear was, here go my children, here we go, into a place called Goshen, which is supposed to be close to Yosef. That's scary. What's that going to be like? Yosef is the viceroy. Yosef, wonderful, I love my son, but I'm not sure how I feel about this. Are they successful? Are they not? The conclusion of Parashat Vayigash, which we read then, was, and they settle in Goshen, and they proliferate, it sounds like, amongst one another. That was great. The very onset of Sefer Shemot is, well, not really. They are parim verabim vayishresu ba'aretz beker. And it's Paro's words. They are hine'am. This is a nation which is so great throughout the land. It's almost as if their success was also their failure. What do I mean by that? Their success in proliferating and becoming greater and becoming better and more successful is at the same time that maybe ease of life, maybe success in society, they lost self-identity. Exactly what Paro feared is what happens. I, I read that parasha that week, and just going back to what we were saying, and Yosef never gave the message to his dad, like, by the way, and I, and I kept, you know, I, I stayed true to who we are. It was all like, yeah, it's all good is here, which is exactly what you're saying now. Yeah. All is good, but we lost our identity. For sure. Now, uh, let me just for a moment tell you, I do think Yosef did keep identity. He did, but he didn't But I agree with you, that was in his message, for sure. For sure, and that was the fear of Yaakov. And again, it that's this nameless society. It's anonymous because... I, I, we did it, A, kind of to ourselves, but we're also forced into it. We're just a part of it. We're enslaved. And Moshe now emerges. So again, Moshe, the name individual, given a name by a free person, 
uh, emerging on the scene as he's identifying with who his brothers are, maybe initially confused according to Ibn Ezra, and then I thought, this is who I truly am. Then he encounters an Egyptian, here's, here's another one with a smile, an Egyptian who's striking an Ivri, right? That's the first thing he notices. And Vayifen uh, Kovako, he looks both ways. Vayarki Enish, there's no one looking, it appears, and he strikes the Egyptian. Anyone know what the Midrash, what Rashi says, the method in which he kills him is? Okay, I'll tell you. He kills him, says the Midrash, with Shem HaMeforash, with the name of God. Now, whatever that means, I'm not uh, weighing in on, we'll have to speak to our local Kabbalists. But what I will say is, the description of the first action of Moshe coming forth from name, from identity, this is who I am, that's my God, this is my connection, I, it, it's, it's almost striking that that's the first. Okay, now fast forward a bunch. Let's fast forward to Moshe's escape. Moshe escapes, he goes to a place called Midian. And he's in this place called Midian and he encounters uh, these women whom he saves and he ends up getting married to one of them. And he gives birth to children, to at least a child there. And does the child get a name? He does. Name of his child is Gereshom, Kiger Hayiti Beiretz Nochriyam, a stranger in a foreign world, in a foreign land. Number one, he gives a name because he can. Because Moshe was born a free person. Moshe is out of Egypt. He's in Midian. Moshe is able in this moment to identify and to have a child, quote unquote, with a name. What's the child's name? Ger Hayiti Beiretz Nochriyam. It's a little ambiguous, but the easiest translation, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. He's so in tune with his identity, Moshe. And I'll add, it probably had to be a Moshe. Let me put it in different words. We need the Israeli videos and the Israelis teaching us about our identity. We need people who are self-identified and can come to that. Okay. Okay. Um, who, who are there, who are able to teach us about identity. So Moshe is born free, and Moshe runs out of Egypt. He has the liberty and luxury of doing so. Uh, he's he's going to be the liberator. He's going to be the one who teaches us who we are. He's going to be the one who, who speaks to the people and gives them a name. He encounters God. Okay, so he encounters God, and are we familiar with, I don't even look at it for a moment, are we familiar with the conversation with God when he first encounters him? It's at... The burning bush, yeah, let's take a look quickly on page 302 at the bottom, or 302 at the top. Um, Moshe has just begun dialogue, conversation with God at this burning bush. Vayomer, God speaks to him and says, Anochi, Elohe Avicha, I'm the God of your father, Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, God of your forefathers. And God continues, I've noticed, I've given, I've, I've been intentful, I'm aware of my nation's suffering. And my plan now, says God, nothing that we, I think, are surprised by. Me, says God, I'm going to descend and redeem them. I hear their screams in Pasuktet. I've seen the difficulties. And now mission. Moshe, here's what you need to do. Okay, and if we're, if we're attuned to what is on Moshe's mind, if we're attuned to the people of B'nai Israel at that time, what do we need? And again, I, I think we're already, we, we already found Exodus and, and names together, right? If you're going to be free, it means you know who you are. If you're going to live as an individual who realizes that 
my mental, my emotional capacity is liberated, it means I have a self-identity. I'm not just a part of something. I'm, I, I'm a person. I have my own values. I'm not a part of you, per se. Here says God, here's the plan. You're going to go down and take them out. And Moshe asks him for a sign. And on page 304, Moshe turns to God with a very, at least in my opinion, perplexing request. Vayomer Moshe Elohim, God, Moshe turns to God and says to him, Here I am. I'm coming to Bnei Israel. Let's play the scene, God. Okay, I'm going to show up and it's like an Abbot and Castell. They're gonna say, I'm going to say to them and they're going to say to me, I'm going to say to them, I'm going to say to them, the God of your forefathers sent me to you. Shouldn't that be sufficient? No, Moshe says, no, they're going to have a question. They're going to say to me, what's his name? Isn't that a strange thing Moshe's nervous about? Ma'omar alehim. What am I going to say to them? He's got to be asking something of depth over here. What's he asking God? He's asking God, I, I need to be able to give them identity. I need you to have identity, God. Could you give me identity that I'll give to them and they'll understand, they'll be able to liberate themselves through that understanding? And what's God's response? Not really. What do you mean, not really? I'm translating it the most simple way. I'll be who I'll be. One second, the name? Well, didn't you remember? I'm playing God for a moment. Don't you remember, Moshe? I'm with you. I'm with them. What's their identity in this moment? Well, they're nameless. Guess what? So am I. I'm just going to be who I'm going to be, just like they're going to be who they're going to be. Not a very strong statement. It's not a good thing they're nameless, so now... I think it's reality or or reality in this moment. Moshe, do you think this is just going to happen like that? You're going to go down and say, here's who we are. They have no strong identity. It means that, so to speak, I have no strong identity. It's more a lesson to Moshe in this moment. Don't think this is just going to happen. You can't walk down and say, God sent me to you and poof, you're liberated. This is going to be a process right now, so to speak, says God. I have no name. If they have no name, if they're identityless, well, guess what? Then I'm lost also. I mean, it's a famous philosophical point, just parenthetically on the side. You can't have a king without followers. It just doesn't exist. You could call yourself a king or a queen, but you're not if you don't have followers. So to speak, says God, if they don't know who I am, you could give them my name, you could describe who I am, but it doesn't mean anything. I have no name in this moment. And okay, so God goes on. He says, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Say that I'm the father, uh, I'm the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That'll be my identity. But his initial words, God to Moshe, are very telling. Again, if we're up to date in what's happening in Parashat Shemot, in Sefer Shemot, it's a society, a nation of people who are, so to speak, nameless meaning their identity, what they live for, what they can live for, doesn't exist. They don't know. They're just a part of Egyptian society. They just are. They're slaves. Either they don't have the ability to think about it, or they're just so much a part of it to the extent that identity, strength and identity, doesn't exist for them. It's the Moshe realization from the beginning. It's the Moshe mission to give them names. All right, if we're, if we're up to date on that, just pause for a moment. Moshe goes, question? Sorry. I, um, I read somewhere that he says, I'll send your brother, Aaron. Sure. Aaron had a name, like, he was named because he was a lady. When does that happen? Later. It happens as he's on his way back into Egypt. Okay. 
And that's when all names start appearing. So as the liberation begins, it's the best point. As liberation begins, everyone gets names. Of course, everybody has names. I mean, let me tell you what that means. Yeah, that's uh, 100%. But uh, right before that, he goes to his father-in-law and he says, Dad, I'm going to go back. And you got to hand it to uh, Yitro, his father-in-law, because his father-in-law took in this strange Egyptian, they called him Egyptian man, whoever he was, who seems to spend some time with his wife, I'm, uh, with his daughter, and I imagine he takes good care of her, he's Moshe Rabbeinu, but then just disappears. I'm going down to liberate my people from Egypt, and his father-in-law, who could, the Pasuk seems to describe, tell him, no, it's, you know, I, 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 give him, I give him full credit, you know, like, I don't, I, I've mentioned, my grandmother was, she always said, you can marry anyone, it's beautiful, even Ashkenaz, but not Israelis, no Israel. Again, the joke's on her, I've said many times, both of my sisters live in Israel, my aunt lives in Israel, whatever, it's all, but, um, but I, I do give her, and my, my grandmother from, you know, the simple background, give her credit, because her daughter, her only daughter, moved to Israel, and my grandmother, you know, went with it. It was foreign to her, she knew nothing about it, couldn't understand it, and she, well, that's, that's Yitro. But anyway, this Yitro, he's got at least, in this parasha, three names. He's named Reuel one time, and then Yitro, and then Yetim, and she says he's got a whole slew of names. What's the significance of that? I'll tell you why, because he lives outside of Egypt, and every time we imagine the difference between Egypt, slaves, and those outside of Egypt, we notice, well, they have names, they have freedom, they have identity. He's a Kohen Midian of some sort. He gets something, he knows who he is. He'll show up on the scene later on with vision and perspective. He's a free person. Everyone in Egypt is this nameless society. Uh, before we make our way to liberation, I've told this story too many times, but it's, it's, it's a good one, at least for me. I once was listening to a tape, uh, a tape, I think, maybe it was a CD, but even a CD is outdated, but it was one of those, and it was, uh, his name's Rabbi Ades. He lived, he's still alive in Israel, Rabbi Yehuda Ades, and he was telling the following story. He said that he was at a, um, at a, a uh, in the hospital room as, as a man was on his deathbed, he said it was a man who was hours, maybe days from passing away. And he noticed that the man, who was still very cogent, still very clear and lucid in his talk, and his speech, he was speaking to the rabbi and able to you know, have regular conversation. But in between sentences, he was mumbling something to himself. So he kept, he kept noticing. He said, what do you keep saying? He said, I keep repeating my name. So why are you repeating your name? He said, Rabbi, don't you know there's a long-standing tradition? There is, some thousand plus years. We have this tradition that after death, it's not in the Gemara, but there's some sort of tradition, you'll be asked your name. And so I'm repeating my name because I know the impending day is here. I'm going to be asked my name. So the rabbi in this class that he was given that I listened to, he said, I didn't have the heart in the moment to a man who was on his deathbed to explain it to him. But that meant nothing. Repeating your name and knowing your actual name in the literal sense, the letters and uh, syllables that go into your name, that's not what that tradition means. The tradition means that after death you're going to be asked, do you have a name? Are you able to identify with who you are? Are you able to come here and say, so to speak, after death, I had a self-identity, I lived up to my goals, my ambitions, my values, I had values, goals, and ambitions? Uh, is, that's that's the description. Did you make a name for yourself? Not only in terms of success, in terms of the full sense of name. Uh, that's right. Uh, so, uh, all right, so that's, that describes all the rotten times. We came in, Raquel, with names, we lost names. Okay, what happened? They were in Goshen, then what happened? The Pasuk describes how we proliferate at the beginning of the Parasha. Oh, we, uh, sorry, oh gosh. <laughs> Let me just for a moment tell you a story, okay? I, a young man whom I don't know came up to me in the school this week. 
And she said to me, I listen to your class every week with my father on Fridays. I said, that's so beautiful. How did you discover that? I don't remember how they discovered it. So I said, so that's, that's what you said. I just want to know, where'd you learn all the big words? So I, said, so I said, is that all you get out of it? He said, to be honest, a little bit, because we pause every 20 seconds because we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, such, such a typical story. Anyway, I walked away like feeling like a million dollars. I'm confusing everyone. Anyway, proliferate means that they became a lot. They reproduced. They were a lot. They, they spread out. So that's all we know. We know that they spread out. The suggestion is in the spreading out, they kind of lost identity. They no longer, not that you need to be clustered in order to maintain identity, but apparently that was the beginning of their loss of identity. Right. Then they're enslaved. Becoming a slave means not being able to manifest, to, to show exactly so who you are. Did they assimilate during this time? I can't tell you they're fully assimilated. I do think they can't, but I'll already jump to a point that's later on, but it's, it's, it's short in coming. What happens during all the 10 plagues, the Makot? In many of them, it's explicit in the Pesukim that God strikes the Egyptians, but Ulechol B'nei Yisrael, Haya Or B'moshevotam, for example, that's the second, that's in Choshech. It's darkness for the Egyptians, but the B'nei Yisrael have light. And so too the Midrash says it by like all of the Makot, and you see it explicitly. What's the point of that? What's the point of the text going out of its way to describe it? I think to divide. I think to build self-identity. So I don't know. The, the way God describes his reasoning here is this is a covenant, a pact that I had to Abraham, it's Hakadakov. Whatever that means and however that's described in terms of deserving nation or not, that's that's the way the Torah describes it. What I can say though, in terms of lesson, I can't I don't know how much there's lesson in that, promise, etc. But in terms of lesson what takes place is God says, Before I take you out, you didn't know who you are. And it's a little gruesome and a little scary to show you who you are, but I'm going to start by showing you're not them. Right? Oh, let, let, me, let me divide you. So yeah, I'm sure they're very involved, but ironically, the Egyptians separate them. You're slaves. You're not us. Um, okay, and now we're on our way to bring down B'nai Israel, and you, I, I think, can't miss... Uh, the, the, the father-in-law there is on page 310 when all of a sudden his name is Yeter and Rashi says there were many names that he had. But now we're on our way down to Egypt and the Pesukim on page 312 describe how uh, Moshe is on his way down. He has a wife. What's her name? Sipora, And he encounters his brother, Aharon. Cool. Brother has a name because we're on our way to liberation. That's what's happening. And he's speaking to the people and telling them what's happening and this is the story and we're going to be liberated. We're going to find freedom. And the people believe him, but then there's hardships from Paro, etc. But then the most significant part, I'm bringing into next week's parashah because we're getting up to closer to freedom on page 318. First pasuk, parashat, not boy, I said earlier. Va'era, va'idaber Elohim el Moshe, va'yomer elav, ani Adonai. Do, do you catch it? This is, remember the last time, what's your name? God says, by the way, here's my name. Where is this taking place? In Egypt during time of liberation. Now, here's my name. Now I can speak to you. Guess what? My identity was never fully revealed. But now it's time. Now, through these people, through this nation, my identity is going to become known to all. They're going to achieve identity. They're going to find names. Do they? Page 320. 
And this is really where it comes all together. Page 320. As Moshe is beginning, as the Makot are on their way down, you know, we're about to strike the Egyptians, there's a pause in the action. And the screen goes dark for a moment and then comes on. Let me tell you who's in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Tell me who's in Egypt. I've been watching the show throughout. I know who's in Egypt. Ele Rashi Bet Avotan, page 320, Pasuk These are the names of the people in Egypt. And it's going to sound very familiar. Benere Uven, Bechor Yisrael. Hanoch, Ufalu, Hetron, Mecharmi, Ele Mishpechot Reuven. Ubne Shimon, Yemuel, Yamin, Veoad, Beachin, Vetsoha, Veshaul, Ben Knanit, Ele Mishpechot Shimon. Why is this happening? Of course, it's leading us up to introduce us to Moshe and Aharon, but lots of names, because names have reappeared, because redemption is in the air because the people are finding their names already. And so forth. Let's go to Pasuk Yod Chet at the bottom of 320. Pasuk Kaf. Amram. Et Remember that? They had no names. Guess what? Now we're doing the same story with their names. Oh, he has a brother who has a name. Amram, the ages of uh, the, the age of Amram. Last part, Pasuk Kafzain or Pasuk Kafav. Hu Aharon Umoshe. This is the Aharon Umoshe. Asher Amar Adonai lahem hotziot b'nei Sarmets b'samal sivotam. God told them to take him out. Vayhi biyom diber Adonai Umoshe be'eretz Misraim. These are who Moshe ve'Aharon. These are the Moshe and Aharon. Which means to say, if you piece it all together, we went down into Egypt with a strong self-identity. We were the sons and grandsons and children of Yaakov. We can speak to who we are. That's quickly lost over the course of some time. Slavery, um, uh, involvement in the culture and the society. We don't know our name any longer. Um, Moshe goes out and he's the first one, it seems to me from the text, to start to realize, well, uh, those are my pro- oh, I can think like that. These aren't my people. Those are my people. Those are a people. They're my brothers. It comes from a free person, not born into slavery, to be able to say that and do that. He has a name from a free person from Batparo. And he goes down and he's beginning. He uses, again, with a smile, he uses God's name to strike the Egyptian and then encounters God when he finds a wife whom he has a child who has a name with. And as he meets God, he says to God, by the way, what's your name? To which God, my word says, don't really have one yet. And, but, here's your mission, Moshe, make your way down. He goes down, he meets his brother, his brother, who now has a name. I didn't even know about him until now, let alone did he have a name, because redemption's in the air, because we're about to redeem these people, which means an emotional, a psychological, an intellectual understanding of who we are, what are our 55 things that we want, mm-hmm. what is, who is the God whom we worship, right? And that's what begins everything to the extent that the Pesukim pause in the action when we're in Egypt to say, A, say that God turns to Moshe and says, by the way, this is my name. Oh, I, I asked you that in the past. How come you couldn't tell me that at the burning bush? Because I didn't have a name then. But now, in the air, everyone's talking about liberation. Everybody knows who they are all of a sudden. And then the Pasuk says, okay, let's pause for another second. Let me tell you 
everybody has names and everyone's going to achieve these names in short and due time to the extent that these plagues which are coming are going to force them to do so. And the Pesukim are going to explicitly say that the purpose of these makot, one of them is to separate. Separation sometimes, maybe oftentimes, is very significant for pausing and realizing who you are. You bounce off your ideas and realize that they're not the same as others. In those moments, I believe, and we'll see it again later, B'nai Yisrael truly achieve liberation. It's as the Pesukim lead us up to, again, the parents of Moshe, who now have names, describe for us the birth of Moshe, who, so to speak, has a name at birth this time, and his brother Aharon, it then says, by the way, those are the same ones who are taking B'nai Yisrael out of Egypt. I think the message, more than anything for us, it's a hard one sometimes to digest and to accept is that the more sometimes comfortable and the more free we feel, uh, the more, so to speak, uh, beholden to slavery we truly are. And what I mean by that is slavery is a loss of self-identity. When I'm not focused on, because of the difficulties of the time, who I truly am, uh, well then to a certain extent I've I'm living as a slave. I, I'm not able to identify what it is that my family, that my personality truly is made up of, what my unique stature is. The book of Shemot, the book of names, is also the book of Exodus, because the book of Exodus, of getting out of Egypt, of achieving freedom, means achieving your own name. It's, it's a message which, again, not so simple, but very pointed and significant, because to talk about let me say it this way, to talk about the easy approach, I'm going to tap back into that story from Rabbi Adis for conclusion, to repeat what our name is in the very superficial and artificial way is insignificant. That man on his deathbed just kept repeating his name. You see, I have a name, I can answer my name, but that's not a name. That's just, uh, you know, I can say, my family name is this. We eat on Shabbat, this is the typical one, what do you eat on the Shabbat? Okay, I'm going to do it again. At funerals, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a difficulty, and I'm okay if, if, if that needs to be done, but it's a difficulty when it's only done like this. Grandma was the most wonderful grandma in the world because she made great kibbeh and lachmabdejin. Um, a little bit more significant. That's great, and she brought us together. Gorgeous, fantastic, and say it like that. But if it's just who I am because I eat those foods as opposed to this is who I am, this is what I truly believe in. Yeah, we do it around those foods. Yeah, we talk a little bit differently than others. Yeah, we have our own, uh, our own ways of doing things, but, but this is who we truly are. So that's the message of Rabbi Adis, you know, kind of to us from that story. We can repeat our names and assume that the kibbeh and the lahamajin is, is, is what defines us, instead of saying maybe the conversations around them, if they're happening, are truly what defines us. The shemot of B'nai Israel then, is the opportunity for us to pause, to reflect, to take in, uh, to realize that if we're not identifying with what our values are, then we're kind of living that life of anonymity, how about that one, of an anonymous lifestyle where we don't and aren't able to just pause, reflect, and understand what is it that defines who we truly are. The one thing about Benista that they, that they did not lose was their, was their names, names, which is a fascinating midrash, especially in light of what we're saying, because it sounds like the opposite. No, well, I, know, no, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm getting there. In other words, the midrash at first glance sounds like, it sounds like it, sounds they didn't lose like their names. 
unless, on several levels. Firstly, it might just mean they maintained names that were different than the Egyptians, right? It may have been artificial, but maybe beyond that. Maybe deep down, keep in mind, if I come and I scratch off these people and say, you know, this is who you think you are, but here's who you truly are. Maybe that's what Moshe was doing in this moment. As Moshe shows up, he needs to tap into their true identity, which they'd had, I just didn't really identify they with name, it. They had the name, but they didn't realize what it was. They were repeating the name on the deathbed without realizing what it represented, and that's what Moshe kind of brings right. out in them. Again, says the Midrash, Bishut, it's in merit of keeping their names that they're redeemed. It's in merit, so to speak, of them identifying, realizing who they are, uh, that their redemption comes forth.